off and the clock has started. Here we go. Welcome to 20 Minutes You'll Never Get Back. I'm your announcer Graham. And now back from wherever he was, here's Duck. <laughs> Does anybody else think it sounds like he's saying here's Duck? <laughs> uh, what a way to start the show, huh? Yes, greetings. This is 20 Minutes You'll Never Get Back. And welcome, everybody. I uh, have been gone. You know, it's summertime. What can I say? And if you follow this show on the uh, Instagram machine thing, you know, I was in the high Sierra last week. Trees, squirrels, and oh, yeah, we got evacuated due to a fire. <laughs> and then we got unevacuated back to the trees and the squirrels. You know, redwood and pine trees zen for a week. And then I came home, was on the LA freeway system. So that pretty much took care of any zen I had left in me. In me. As, you know, and here's something. Two weeks ago, I was in one of California's major theme parks. No, not the one run by a mouse. This one has mountains that claim to, claim to be magical. You can put those two words together. You know, based on the crowds, I, I kind of question the word magical, but that's, that's not the point. No, the point is this. I saw a woman, a few people ahead of me in line, wearing a shirt that said Zurich, Switzerland on the front. Now, I thought, hey, <laughs> I have listeners in Switzerland. Maybe she's one of them. <laughs> one of them. <laughs> Don't laugh, Doug. Who knows? Maybe she could be. <laughs> you know, it's a small world after all. Oh, that's a different theme park. Never mind. So I thought maybe I should squeeze by the people in front of me and ask her, excuse me, but do you ever listen to my podcast and do you have 20 minutes you'll never get <laughs> get back? <laughs> then I thought, you know, the next person I'd be talking to is uh, the park security. <laughs> park security. So I didn't. <laughs> and that brings me to this. <laughs> if you are from Switzerland, or perhaps you visited Switzerland and you're wearing a shirt that says Switzerland on it, and you were in a theme park in California, let me know. Ah, <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> See what happens when I take a couple weeks off? <laughs> By now, you're probably wondering, what got me to thinking this week? Well, <laughs> sadly, not too much. And then I got a text. And that got me to thinking. And, and if you think about it, too, a text is just a uh, faster telegraph. <laughs> I mean, they're both words being sent to you. Oh, sure, one of them is wireless and the other one isn't. Both of them have words you read, although one is just dots and dashes. But basically, it's words being sent to you. And that led me to further thinking. <laughs> oh, come on. You expected nothing less, did you? I wondered what else has made some significant changes over the years. Now, I don't want to go all the way back to, you know, difference between Fred Flintstone's car and my electric one. No, I'm only going to go back uh, to a time that I fondly remember the 50s and the 60s. Now, it, it you know, it may come as a shock <laughs> to some of you that, yeah, I'm old. <laughs> you may have picked up on that through uh, some of the other tidbits I've dropped through 120 episodes, you know, like grandkids. Now, this is normally where I would say, you know, I did some research, so you don't have to, but uh, <laughs> this is all coming out of my memory banks, so <laughs> there's no research involved. So some of you may remember the 50s and 60s along with me. <laughs> Others of you may be mesmerized how we even survived it to make it to 2023 without Wi-Fi. So I call this a stroll through memory lane or a history lesson. <laughs> your choice. It's more than likely you're listening to this on your phone. Well, kids, we used to have something called a rotary phone. <laughs> it had a wire connected to the wall. Oh, my God. I know. Shocking. I hated rotary phones. If you remember them, you may hate them, too. <laughs> my finger would always slip out of the dial. Then I'd have to hang up and start all over again. 
Oh, oh, and and for you youngsters out there, uh, do you know where the phrase hang up came from? You see, we literally had to hang the phone back on the base unit to end the call. Hanging up. (laughs) Oh, and while we're on phones, we had something called white pages and the yellow pages. Google it. (laughs) Okay, I'm on a roll now. Here's one for you. Cars used to have a bench seat in the front. Yep, one big long seat right there in the front. You could only hope that you didn't have to sit in the middle because that really sucked. But fortunately, over time, they uh, disappeared mostly due to the uh, changing tastes and safety regulations like seat belts. Americans wanted sportier cars with bucket seats that looked kind of like European cars. And speaking of cars, does anybody out there remember curb feelers? (laughs) I know that doesn't sound right. Curb feelers. Cars used to have those. What are those, Doug, you ask? Well, I'm going to tell you. They were a little like wire springs that stuck out from the side of your car by the wheels. So when you got next to a curb, you would hear a scraping noise. and You knew you were right next to the curb. (laughs) How irritating. But you know what? You can still get them. (laughs) Google it. You can still get curb feelers. And how about this blast from the past? When we wanted to show people pictures we took, we couldn't just airdrop them to them. No, we had to drag out the old slide projector. (laughs) If you were fancy schmancy, you actually had a screen you could set up too. Otherwise, you had to find the whitest wall in the house, and which, you know, back in the 60s could be difficult with all the avocado colors and the turquoise colors. (laughs) And usually, three times out of ten, a slide was in upside down. (laughs) Upside down. Everybody turning their head sideways to try to see the picture so you could get the slide right. And then when you did it, usually put it in backwards. (laughs) And still on the picture topic, if you take a picture nowadays, bam, there it is. It's on your phone instantly. What a world we live in. Back in the prehistoric times, we had access to almost instant pictures. We had Polaroid cameras. Now, I think they still exist today. But back then, after you took a picture, you had to pull the print out of the camera. Then uh, you would open up a tube of developer that came with the film pack and you spread it evenly across the picture. Then you wave the picture in the air to dry while it developed. And there you go, an instant picture (laughs) four and a half minutes later. (laughs) A few years later, uh, Polaroid came out with a version that automatically ejected the print. Can you believe it? (laughs) But you still had to wave it around in the air while it developed. Now that's some technology development right there. (laughs) The instant picture. Now, this one may be hard to believe, but there were no Major League Baseball or basketball teams on the West Coast in the late 50s and early 60s. It's kind of hard to imagine it, but that was the case until 1958. That's when the New York Giants moved to San Francisco and the Brooklyn Dodgers moved to Los Angeles. So here is a little bit of history. Ah, crap. That means I did do some research. Oh, well. On May 28, 1957, the National League owners voted unanimously to allow the New York Giants to move to San Francisco and the Dodgers to L.A. However, there were conditions attached to the owner's decision. First, either both teams had to move or neither could, which meant that if one team rescinded, then the other would have to change their plans. And the second... Well, both teams had to announce their plans before October 1st, 1957. In the end, obviously, both teams did move. West Coast baseball fans were overjoyed, and the people of New York City were heartbroken. Oh, so sad. Meanwhile, the NBA got their uh, foot in the door on the West Coast 
when the Minneapolis Lakers moved to Los Angeles in 1960. You're saying to yourself, so that's how Los Angeles team got the name of Lakers. Because, you know, Minneapolis, land of a thousand lakes. Okay. Speaking of Los Angeles, you have certainly heard of the Hollywood Walk of Fame. Maybe we even strolled along the stars and bedded in the sidewalk. If you were there in, oh, let's say 1959, well, it was just a sidewalk. The first star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame was placed on February 9th, 1960. Who was the first star, you ask? Well, it went to Joanne Woodward. Now, I have no idea why, and, and you know, I'm not knocking her as an actress, but uh, how she got a star before all the oh other stars in Los Angeles? Well, it's beyond me, but I, I don't make the decision. Currently, there are over 2,700 stars on the uh, Walk of Fame. Anyone, including a fan, can nominate a celebrity as long as a celebrity or his or her management is in agreement with the nomination. There is a $75,000 sponsorship fee upon selection. Now, the fee is used to pay for the uh, creation and installation of the star, as well as maintenance of the Walk of Fame. <laughs> I chuckle. No, actually, it was a full-on laugh. I laugh because if you've ever walked the Hollywood Walk of Fame, well, you could tell that it uh, it could use some maintenance. <laughs> Just saying. Oh, by the way, that fee is subject to change. Well, it's now time for a break. But when we come back, oh, you know what's coming. More stuff that has evolved from the 50s and 60s to 2023. <laughs> I bet you can't wait. Don't go away. Polaroid introduces an economy model of the famous color pack camera for half the price of the original. Same great film. Same fast loading. Same electric eye. Yet it's half the price of the original model. You get the same beautiful color prints in 60 seconds, black and white in 10, in the same big size. Yet it's half the price of the original model. Isn't it your turn to own a Polaroid color pack camera? Oh my God, I've got to get that now because it's the newer version and it does pictures in 10 seconds for black and white and it's half off. <laughs> old Polaroid. <laughs> what do you say? We get back to things from the 50s and 60s that I remember. Maybe you do too. Okay, my stroll down memory lane would not be complete if we didn't talk about television in the 50s and the 60s. What a joyous time that was. We had four channels. How do you pick? <laughs> you know, the picture was grainy black and white. <laughs> Outstanding. And the picture tube. Yes, kids, it was a tube. It was so small by comparison to today's Giganto TVs that you'd have to sit really close to see anything. And, and, you know, and that's a good thing because you could easily just reach over and change the channel because there was no such thing as a remote. Oh, my. <laughs> I know. <laughs> and to top it off, every TV had rabbit ears. Okay, I'll explain rabbit ears. It was the antenna, you see. Uh, it has two really thin uh, telescopic metal pieces that uh, came out from a little little half dome thing on top of your TV, and that was the antenna. Then you would twist it around to you know get a better picture, <laughs> less grain. Eventually, you know the antennas were mounted on the roof of your house, but they still had to be turned quite often to get some better reception, and that meant 
you had a motor attached to your antenna and a box on top of your TV with a big dial. And you turned the dial and the antenna moved. And then it would go past a really good picture. So you have to go backwards to get the good picture. It was a back and forth game. The uh, movable antenna or the rotor <laughs> likely saved many a kid from a scolding or perhaps worse from an angry parent because if you tried to de-telescope the antenna, you'd end up bending it. All hell would break loose. <laughs> yes, I still have some baggage. <laughs> TV from the 60s. <laughs> what a great time that was. Back in the 60s, there was this musical group. Uh, they were from England, and uh, they're pretty popular around the world. You might uh, know them as John, Paul, George, and Ringo, the Beatles. Well, if you wanted to go see them, the ticket price was my God, $5 to see the Beatles. That is less than the stupid service fee that Ticketmaster charges for anything. Five bucks in the 60s to go see the biggest uh, group in the world. (laughs) You know, food in the 50s and 60s wasn't without its own oddities. (laughs) And if I'm being honest, I actually wish some of them were still around today. Like space food sticks. <laughs> Every kid wanted to be an astronaut. So they had these little chocolate uh, things that I don't even know what ingredients they're made from. But they're called space food sticks because that's what the astronauts ate. <laughs> so yeah, you know, some of my wish were still around today, but uh, not this one. You know, at the time uh, back in the uh, early 60s, the public was looking for some healthier alternatives uh, and at the time, Jello decided to jump into the healthy game. In 1964, Jello tried to uh, fulfill the fruit and veggie nutrition requirements with a salad flavored Jello. What? <laughs> you heard me. A salad flavored Jello. They featured celery Jello, seasoned tomato Jello, and a mixed vegetable salad Jello. <laughs> You know, my mom meant well, but this one was a bust. And apparently not just in our family, the experiment was short-lived and it was pulled off the shelves just a couple of years later. Hmm. Kids, we're going to have jello tonight for dinner. Yay. It's seasoned tomato. Oh, God. Hey, kids, uh, before Grocery Dash or Grub Grocery or InstaFood, whatever, whatever those things are called, there was a time when a man would come to your house and leave bottles of milk on your porch. <laughs> yes, I said bottles, glass bottles. It was the milkman. Every week he would come by and leave whatever it is you needed. Households had this kind of a like a, a swatch book thing, if you will, with different pictures of different uh, dairy products. And you would put the empty bottles on the porch and in the neck of one of them, you would leave this little swatch book with the little flags of what it is you needed, you know, milk or cottage cheese, whatever, almost any dairy product. Now, one time I I looked at that and I noticed that my mom hadn't put up the flag for chocolate milk. So I did. (laughs) Oh man, that was a mistake. (laughs) Anyway, hopefully your porch wasn't out in the sun. So once again, we've come full circle, kind of like that whole telegraph thing, but this time on the food delivery thing. Although this time, I guess uh, you ordered online, but it still ends up outside your door. I I don't know. I've I've never done it. I prefer to go into the store, but I do use the uh, scanner yourself because I don't want to talk to anybody. (laughs) That's just me. 
And how many of you remember this one? The first can of Coke was introduced to the cola drinking generation in 1960. You see, uh, before that, if you wanted a Coke, you had to go to the grocery store or the gas station. There was this great big machine with a long, skinny door with glass on it, on the front of it. Uh, you would put your nickel in the machine. Yeah, nickel. You put your nickel machine and you open the door and you pull out a bottle of Coke or 7-Up or Hires Root Beer. On the side of the machine was a, a bottle cap opener and a place to put your empty bottles. It was magical. <laughs> Uh, when the can came along in the 1960s, the can had a pull tab on the top. It was a, a ring and a tab combo thing. You would lift up the ring and then pull the tab off, hopefully all in one motion. Uh, more times than I really care to remember, the ring broke off of the tab and you were basically screwed. <laughs> there was no way to open that can except take it home and find some pliers to pry the tab open. Hopefully the can wasn't shaken up too much by all that manhandling trying to get the tab off. But I tell you, if that ring and tab came off in one piece, you now had the beginning of a chain. <laughs> what kid in the 60s didn't make a chain out of a string of soda can tabs? And it was so easy. You just put the tab through the ring of another tab and then bend it down. Then repeat the process with all the tabs you collected. It was a beautiful piece of art that served no purpose. Speaking of a soft to drink, anybody remember fizzies? <laughs> Man, fizzies. They came into our life in 1962. Fizzies were tablets that could be dropped into a cup of water to add instant carbonation and fruit flavor to the water. Sadly, the carbonation <laughs> didn't last very long. The Emerson Drug Company sold the sugar-free flavored tablets, and by 1968, the product was selling twice as much as Kool-Aid because it fizzed. <laughs> Unfortunately, the sugar substitute in fizzies included saccharin and cyclamates, which were eventually banned. That kind of helped fizzies' uh, eventual demise. But I tell you, for those of us who were very experimental back in the 60s, <laughs> you know, being 10, we just popped them in our mouth. <laughs> Skipped the whole cup of water thing. <laughs> yeah, that was a, a real eye-opening experience. <laughs> and lastly, portable music. You see, kids, long before your earbuds and Spotify music streaming to your ears, those of us who are a tad bit older could only listen to our music on a record player. We had to sit at home and put a record on the player, and hopefully we didn't scratch the record. The only other option we had was to listen to a radio station at home or maybe in the car. Walking around listening to music? Yeah, forget about it. But in 1954, the transistor radio debuted. The radio received AM stations and it sold for about 50 bucks, which was $400 in today's money. The radio was about the size of a small brick. <laughs> and if you follow the show on that Instagram thing, that picture I posted is pretty much what they look like. <laughs> what they look like, yeah. If you were lucky enough to have your own, you would uh, sleep with it under your pillow and you could listen to your favorite songs late at night while your parents were asleep. Eventually, they came with an earphone so you could take it along with you to like the beach or even to school if you were daring enough. Not that I ever got caught, or not that my mother ever knew I got caught. <laughs> and with that, uh, we're gonna wrap up this little road trip back to the 50s and 60s. And now sadly that I've remembered all these things and put them in the front memory section of my head, I've uh, forgotten my address. Oh well, I'm, 
I'm sure it's in the white pages. <laughs> but first, what have we learned? Well, we learned that Los Angeles didn't have a baseball team until 1960. We learned that anyone can nominate a movie star or musician or Broadway star or a podcast star for a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. It only costs $75,000. And if you're thinking about nominating me, well, you know, my people are totally on board with that. <laughs> and lastly, we learned that I still think someone from Switzerland who listens to my show was at the same theme park at the same time I was. You can't prove they weren't. <laughs> Thanks for your patience while I was off an extra week and for coming back. And I will talk to you next time on 20 Minutes You'll Never Get Back. Bye-bye. The application to nominate somebody for a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame can be found at hollywoodwalkoffame.com. Just saying. Hi, it's me again, Doug. I want to take up a couple more seconds of your time just to remind you, if you want to stay informed of when uh, the next podcast is posted, all you need to do is sign up at uh, on that Instagram machine. It's at 20MYNGB, 20MYNGB, and that means 20 minutes you'll never get back. Uh, if you sign up there, you'll uh, always see when the next podcast is uploaded. And if you want to leave some comments, by all means, please do go to the website at 20minutespodcast.com. So it's 20minutespodcast.com. And uh, you can uh, leave your comments there. It also tells you how you can be an announcer for the show. So take, take a look at those two things if you'd like and stay informed. And I'll, as always, thank you very much for listening to uh, 20 Minutes You'll Never Get Back. Bye-bye. <laughs>